0: Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee brewers by Peter and David Goh.
1: Welcome back to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Goh. For another episode today... Should be a good one, David. We talked about Corbin Burns and his National League Cy Young Award a win last week. Today, MLB, all MLB first team for Corbin Burns as well as Josh Hader. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two high awards for both of the Brewers pitchers?
0: Yeah, uh, very tremendous, deserving awards for both Hader and Burns. But unfortunately, Brandon Woodruff nowhere to be found on the, the either the first or second teams. I thought he was more than worthy of getting at least a second team nod. Look at some of the names that are in that second team. Julio Rios, Kevin Gosman, Max Fried, even Otani. He threw 130 innings only. Woodruff threw about 180 at a about a similar, I would say, a similar uh, clip as far as the, the production the name recognition is really what it came down to, especially with that all MLB team, the the second team. Half of it is conducted with fan voting, so popularity plays a big role into it. And Brandon Woodruff, with his down-to-earth personality, kind of classic Southern guy, did not make the cut, unfortunately. Yeah, and certainly
1: there were good arms on that first team. Burns, Scherzer, uh, Robbie Ray, Walker Bueller, Garrett Cole. I think you can make the case, like you said, uh, I think it's pretty evident that Woodruff was deserving uh, as far as his performance last year, to be on the second team, uh, those five guys, I, I think you can make the case for them over Woodruff, um, may, perhaps maybe Bueller, um, or even potentially even Scherzer, um, you can make the case Woodruff over him. But I, I agree, I, he certainly got robbed. I'm fine with him doing some fan voting, but maybe not waiting at 50-50, maybe, I don't know, 80-20, 80% mm-hmm. to the players. Um, be, l- let the fans be engaged, but let's not have them weigh down the voting, because I know I, I believe it was... Bueller and Scherzer that led the the votes as far as the first team uh, all MLB. Uh, I could be incorrect on that, but well,
0: and also Bueller and and Cole, both of them. I thought that both of them d- did not deserve to be there instead of Zach Wheeler. Wheeler had a phenomenal year, and uh, I think it was pretty widely accepted that he had a better year than Bueller or Cole. But coming from the big markets, the big fan bases as well. They're going to have a little bit more voting uh, on their side, a little bit more of the fans are going to be voting on their behalf. And that's where it creates a little bit of a, maybe a disparity between some of those those big names versus the Brandon Woodruffs or the Zach Wheelers. That's a good point. That, that You
1: can make the case for Woodruff, but Wheeler I think was very evidently a top five starting pitcher. Of course, finished second in that Cy Young Award. Very tight race between him and Burns. Uh, so no question, he was robbed as well. So perhaps some uh, hopefully rearranging that they do Uh, for next year's all MLB, We'll see what they do. I think it makes more sense to do, make this a true honor and and a a, a well-deserved award as opposed to basing it off the fans. Uh, We mentioned those five starters. Josh Hader, uh, again, also being on that first team all MLB. No surprise there. Uh, He, along with Liam Hendricks, representing the two relievers. And then position players, Salvador Perez, Vlad Guerrero, Marcus Semyon, Fernando Tatis, Austin Riley, and then the outfield trio, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge be a fun outfield right there. Uh, Soto, Harper, mm-hmm. and Judge.
0: Um, I don't know. Any any of those players specifically stand out to you? Marcus Semyon's season went largely under the radar, hit 45 home runs, set the record for most home runs in a single season by a second baseman, which had, believe it or not, been previously set by Davey Johnson in 1973. Would not have expected that until I took a further look into it more recently. He actually finished third in the MVP voting in the American League, but the spotlight was stolen, understandably so, by Shohei Otani in first place and Vlad Jr. in second place. I thought that that personally Semyon deserved more credit, and good for him. He's hitting free agency now after his one-year deal, the uh, the bet that paid off for him signing that one-year contract with the Blue Jays, and now he hits the open market. So I thought Semyon deserved more credit uh, for his play and he certainly was deservingly the starting second baseman on the all-MLB first team. Yeah, and he, again, may have been under the radar given the
1: Toronto fan base uh, for him, a smaller market, and a great year from him, and, and a great a great timing for him in, in entering his free agent uh, year. I know he's looking to try to get a seven-year contract. We'll see if he's actually able to, to pick that seven-year contract up. I Probably unlikely given his age, but certainly he's a premier middle infielder at this point. And will be highly sought after among the many free agents we were talking about uh, earlier with that really good uh, middle infield class that we've got uh, this year as far as free agents go. So, David, I know we jumped in a little bit, but what's today's random player of the day? Today's random player
0: of the day is Doug Jones. Uh, He actually passed away this past week, unfortunately, due to complications from COVID 19. He was drafted by the Brewers in the third round in 1978. Actually made his debut in 1982 as a member of that American League champion Brewers team, uh, but only pitched in four games, two and two-thirds inning, innings, and didn't come back to the major leagues until 86, when they had already dealt him to Cleveland by that point. Uh, he had a, a number of successful years in Cleveland, ended up recording 303 saves over his career, which I think ranks in the top 20 all-time. Uh, around their five-time All-Star, came back to Milwaukee, in 1996, had a pretty pretty nice shorter run there, pitching for the Brewers between 96 and 98, 97, 2.02 ERA and 80 and a third innings. Actually finished 20th in the MVP voting as a relief pitcher. Uh, so important note there. And I, I mean, he was a, a pretty solid reliever for a long time. Uh, ended up having a nice big league career, despite not really getting started until 29 years old at the major league level. Yeah, several All
1: Star appearances from him. A Very solid career, under the radar career, I think, as a reliever. Um, and we'll jump right into the trivia question, which uh, is going to be based off of based off of last week, Corbin Burns winning that uh, National League Cy Young. Uh, we mentioned that he was not the first Brewer to win the Cy Young award, so it may or may not be an easy question for you, David. But we'll see if we can get you. Uh, but can you name all Brewers Cy Young Award winners in the franchise history? I know that. There's not I'll give you a hint here. There's not a lot of them, but we'll see if we'll see if David's able to list those off by the end of the podcast. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence. He's got he's got a confident smile uh, on his face, so I, I'm I'm feeling good about this
0: one. it seems like when you ask the question, I have a confident smile. You never have the confident look when I when I look into your face after the the trivia question is is uh, is asked at the I, beginning of the episode. I've pulled off some good uh, some good uh, upsets. I would say that I, I think you also have very low
1: expectations. That's true. As a, as a I don't know what what that is Brewers trivia enthusiast that you are. I didn't have those daily Brewer calendars that like gave random stats about Davy uh Davy Nelson's stolen base record from like the nineteen seventies or something yeah. random that you can pull Qu- out.
0: Uh, quick story. I remember that one of the questions one time was uh, when was the only time that two brothers homered in the same World Series game, and that not Brewers related. It was an MLB question on a Brewers calendar, and I, I think I was with you, and I, I looked at it, and I'm like just thinking, I'm like, who would it be? I look at you, and I'm like, Ken and Cleet Boyer? Just <laughs> pull it out of my head out of nowhere. And I look at it, and that's the right answer. I was so excited. And my friend who had the same calendar had known it and like was quiet because he had seen that. Of course, he didn't get it. Um, and I'm, I'm still proud of that to this day. Uh, Ken Boyer actually was up for election in the, in the uh, golden era, veterans committee ballot it is unfortunate
1: it is unfortunate that you peaked your life peaked at the age of at 15 but you know
0: it is what it is i guess yeah i mean uh gotta take the wins when you when you can with those trivia questions uh but another piece of news coming up this week another uh former indian i guess uh talking about doug jones the current one jc mejia current player Brewers making their first trade with the Cleveland Guardians. They did change their name last week. A very unfortunate event happening on on that Friday. They unveiled the new team store, put up a new sign, Cleveland Guardians team store. Before the end of the day, the sign had fallen over, glass shattered everywhere on the sidewalk. Outside of the stadium, not a good look for, for the first day. But the Brewers were able to get this arm, J.C. Mejia, right-handed pitcher at a low cost, player to be named later or cash considerations, and he split some time between the bullpen and the starting rotation last year with the Cleveland Indians. Was very unsuccessful in the starting rotation, nine seven eight ERA across forty innings as a starter, but did just allow two runs in ten innings as a reliever. He has a decent sinker slider combination, good results on the slider. Uh, and pretty good movement on the sinker as well that could could turn into a nice pitch for him Uh, certainly the brewers would be looking at him as a reliever Uh, he's out of options out of minor league options so would have to make the ball club out of spring training for them to keep him on the 40-man roster but a nice guy that's worth a shot Uh, they the brewers bring in these relievers pretty often it seems like and compete for time in spring training very low risk move and could be a, another bullpen piece in the, the part of the bullpen equation for 2022. Yeah, low risk is a, is a good way to sum that up. Uh,
1: not a lot of downside, you know, cash considerations are a player to be named later. Uh, we take a look at the bullpen. Of course, you've got some of those locks and consistent guys you, you know are going to be in there. And Hader, Williams, Suter, really Cousins, I think, and Ashby even fit that mold. Uh, do you think it's likely that we see Mejia uh, making that bullpen or is he a little bit of a long shot? I think a little bit
0: more of a long shot, but it's a little bit diffi- difficult to determine that right now. We don't know how the rest of the offseason is going to shake out, especially with Stearns. They'll make moves whenever. We don't know how, what the market is going to be like, especially with uh, potential lockout looming. So uh, that's a question that maybe you should revisit and ask me again in February when we have a little bit of a clearer picture on the Brewers' bullpen status.
1: Sounds good. We will We will table that one. Um, but Jose Barrios, we mentioned this last episode. Seven years, 131 million for the right-hander uh, extension from him. That certainly begs the question: uh, Two young starting pitchers the Brewers have, obviously, and Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, who are uh, both going to be free agents after the 2025 season. What does that mean as far as extensions uh, for Burns or Woodruff? Is that something that the Brewers want to want to consider doing? Uh, for them? Is that something that obviously Burns and Woodruff would be open to? I think just a lot of questions over the next couple of years as the Brewers look to build a good ball club focused around these young players in the long term as well, obviously locking up Christian Yelich last year. Uh, What are your
0: thoughts on that? I think it's something the Brewers should strongly consider. I'm sure they've had internal discussions about it, potentially even negotiations with both Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. But I don't know that that's a move that you necessarily make right now, but I think it's something you have to consider for the near future. Uh, Corbin Burns is coming off a career b- year. Brandon Woodruff really is too, even though that doesn't really get discussed much because of the way that Burns pitched uh, this year, especially in the second half. But the one distinction I would I would say between Burns Woodruff and Jose Barrios, uh, they're actually around the same age. Um, even though Jose Barrios is hitting free agency Three years earlier, he would hit free agency after uh, the 2022 season. Uh, so a couple of years earlier, that's going to be a big factor. Free agency is a lot based on uh, how old you are when you hit free agency. So, um, so that's going to be something that that really plays into it. But I do think seeing someone of Barrios's caliber, which he is a very good pitcher, very dependable. I'd say a two-starter type, mid-threes ERA, decent strikeout numbers, pretty durable. At the same time, Burns and Woodruff are are far better than that. Uh, And I I would actually like to correct, I I had uh, initially, I think, said it would be 2025. I think it's following 2024 that they're free agents, actually. So the Brewers would have a couple of years to do that. But I think at least if they continue on the trajectory that we're at, I think we're looking at Average annual values of about thirty million a year for Burns and Woodruff.
1: Yeah, as far as and is that coming off of the twenty twenty one performance? You would say.
0: Mm-hmm. If they if they continue the trajectory, yeah, I think it's difficult to expect that they'll be at the same level that they were. But I think expecting that they're at least reasonably close to that level, I think that that's where they'll kind of sit as far as uh, the value, depending on the length of the contract. Yeah, certainly. I think if if we look at
1: Burio, seven years, one hundred thirty-one million, a hair under twenty million a year for a guy who's probably a tear down uh, from from Burns and Woodruff. I mean, I think the Brewers would would gladly take seven years, one hundred thirty-one million for either of those guys. Um, but where do you think that number might lie? I know this is very speculative, but you know, if we're talking seven years, for example, is that something that we're talking in the two hundred million range, uh, or not quite that high?
0: I think it would have to be. I think it depends on when the contract is signed because if it buys out arbitration years, those are uh, generally lower cost for the team, and you know you're going to have them under control. But I think if it if the Brewers were to extend, say, Brandon Woodruff tomorrow, I think that the contract, a seven-year contract, would be about two hundred million. I think maybe a hundred ninety, somewhere around there. Uh, in the especially looking at the peak years now, I don't think that would be the smartest move for the Brewers. Woodruff is entering his peak years right now. Maybe you let it play out, but of course there's a risk to that. Seeing how the Brewers have uh, handled Yelich, they kind of they bought into his status as a star player, and you certainly hope and there's some belief that he will be back to that level. At the same time, there's a little bit less wiggle room as far as extending their their stars. Uh, it seems like they probably wouldn't do that with Josh Hader. Uh, thankfully, they have Freddie Peralta locked up long-term. But extending Burns and Woodruff could be something that they have to do and could be very costly in terms of the money that they dish out to either or both of them. Yeah, it certainly seems like now is not necessarily the best time to buy on
1: these guys who are at their all-time highs as far as the performance that they've had. Uh, like you say, career years from both of those players. And I, I could see the Brewers, they, they still do have a couple of years... You know, we don't know what the 22-year looks like uh, for both of them. But even if we do see some regression as expected, I could see them more deeply considering the option next offseason after that. But you also think about starting pitchers and the durability of some of those arms as well. I mean, you know, what is Brandon Woodruff going to look like in three to four years as a starting pitcher? Is he going to be an elite starting pitcher and number one still that's worth, you know, 20-plus million a year? Or is he going to be a guy who is more middle of the rotation uh, somebody who not as you know not the same pitcher that he was last year.
0: That's the thing with pitching; it's very volatile. Uh, you see pitchers kind of fall off the table sometimes. Think about David Price is looking at some of the biggest contracts of all time. Him or Steven Strasburg have had difficulty staying healthy. Even Zach Grinke towards the end of the contract, not quite as valuable. So that's the risk that you run with some of these pitchers. At the same time. Starting pitching is always at a premium, very difficult to draft and develop pitching, especially starting pitching unless unless you're the Brewers and you really hit the jackpot with three guys over the course of a couple of years span. Brewers really hitting it big with those guys, and it's a good problem to have having to deal with whether or not you're going to dish out a lot of money in an extension for Burns and Woodruff. Yeah, it certainly does help that they do have Freddie Peralta locked up with the contract
1: extension last year. Uh, so we do know Freddie's going to be here a while, and certainly after the year he had last year, it's looking like a team friendly deal uh, that the Brewers really made a good choice on. Um, so you mentioned Josh Hader earlier. Uh, what, are they, what are the chances the Brewers either decide to extend Josh Hader or even trade Josh Hader? That's something that's been floated for several years now. A Hader, uh, now arbitration eligible um, for a few more years, but entering free agency, I believe, in
0: 2023. So what do you see the Brewers doing with him? It's a difficult decision. I don't think the Brewers will choose to extend him I think that we're looking at someone who could be receiving the the largest contract ever for a relief pitcher. He's established himself as the best reliever in baseball. He's won three NL reliever of the Year awards in the last four years. And there's really maybe Liam Hendricks you could you could compare him to. There's not many guys though that have the track record he does. He's pretty young still. He's only 27. And while he maybe does have a little bit more mileage on his arm earlier in his career, he's still not someone who's shown any signs of breaking down anytime soon. So I think that that someone like Hayter will probably be getting somewhere in that range of maybe pushing on five years, $100 million, might be what he's seeking. And that's a price that I don't think the Brewers are going to be willing to pay. I don't think they're going to choose to allocate their resources that way. The Brewers have shown the ability to develop relief pitching in addition to starting pitching. I think they'll go that route. And Devin Williams, I think, likely would be his replacement after the 2023 season if they decide to keep him all the way through the end of his arbitration years. Now, a a, a trade situation would be something that the brewers i'm sure are looking into uh, at this point he's got 2 years left his value is probably at the highest it's going to be uh, as far as as far as maximizing the value you get in return because you've got 2 years left under control probably will be paying him somewhere around 25 million combined over the next 2 years a manageable amount but still a, an amount that you could use somewhere else. The Brewers have been able to develop relief pitching. Maybe you try to go the homegrown route and maybe add a a veteran arm to supplement that in the back end of the bullpen at a lower cost and then bring back a big bat, something along those lines to help the Brewers' offense and maybe create a little bit of a more well-rounded offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's certainly valuable to have a guy like Josh Hader who you know, hitting the ball to in the ninth inning, the game's effectively over. But when you look at what you could save as far as if you're looking at 10 to 15 million for him over the next two years, um, saving that money, you know, putting even three to 5 million on a, on a relief pitcher for a one-year contract or two-year contract, you can get a pretty good arm, um, at that price. Um, who's going to be a step down from a hater from a Williams, but could be a solid seventh or eighth inning guy and perhaps more value. I think the, the hardest thing would be being second guessed with what the Brewers have built. As far as the roster, it'd be a much easier decision if we were in, Maybe twenty seventeen eighteen, um, thinking about trading Josh Hader. But right now, it really feels like the Brewers are at their peak, and to think that they may you know make that big trade, uh, my my uh, brain automatically thinks back to the Yoenis Cespedes John Lester trade, um, which of course was very controversial at the time, did not turn out well for the A's trading uh, one of their stars. And really, Josh Hader is one of the Brewers' star, like you said, the best reliever in baseball. So for the Brewers to go out and trade the best uh, in the in the world at, at closing. For anybody, regardless of who who turns out, if it was, um, you know, major league talent, top prospects, I don't know exactly what it would look like, but regardless, uh, that that could, you know, turn out not so well for the Brewers and look back and, and really regret that decision.
0: Yeah, especially with the way that relievers are in the playoffs, I think that, that that's where his his value is highest is in the playoffs. And one thing to consider is if they are only going to use him in one inning stints. Does that lower his value potentially, uh, especially in the playoffs when usually the best relievers go north of one inning, uh, even two innings sometimes. So that's a consideration that you'd have to look into, uh, but it's you're not really going to be able to just replace Josh Hader uh, evenly. Josh Hader is not going to be uh, somebody, you're not, not going to acquire another Josh Hader in exchange for him, like, a, a younger version of him. So that's why it's a difficult task. Uh, deciding whether or not that is the right move. But I think it's something the Brewers have to consider, especially with the kind of the holes that they have in their lineup. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So final topic today,
1: we talked about the lockout a little bit over the last couple episodes. It's it's looming here as we approach December. Uh, do you think that we are headed towards a lockout uh, between
0: the uh, Players Union and Major League Baseball? I think there will be some form of a lockout. What exactly it looks like is something that's a little bit less certain right now. The lockout would start on December second. The agreement starts on December first. Excuse me. The, the agreement ends on December first. The collective bargaining agreement that the the owners and the players agree on every few years, uh, and it's a contract that includes basic rules of. The way the game is set up so free agency is is agreed upon in the collective bargaining agreement rules like the universal designated hitter even a pitch clock those things are all at stake in the collective bargaining agreement so those are some, some controversial topics, especially with the way players get paid. That's something that's that's at, on the negotiating table right now. Should players be compensated earlier in their careers? Should they be able to hit free agency earlier? How much control should a team have over its players contractually? These are all questions that are that are pretty heated debates between the owners and the players. And pretty much nobody in the industry expects that an agreement will be had between now and December 1st. Now, the good thing is because the agreement expires now uh, or or in in a week or so, we're not at stake of missing out on games. That's the big thing is when games are canceled, especially for the players and the owners, it means loss of revenue as well. So that's usually where the the biggest drawback to a lockout or a strike is. If there is a lockout, that would mean that there are no moves, there's no trades, no free agent signings, uh, nothing that involves any of the players. Uh, players are not allowed to use any club facilities Uh, not that that really impacts us much Uh, but it's kind of more minor things like that and we would see no no uh no hot stove moves Uh, the winter meetings would be canceled so there are a number of aspects of that where we would at least see some sort of effect and then maybe a free agent frenzy once the agreement happens it seems like based on the the buzz around the industry is that What's going to happen is that they'll basically be negotiating and negotiating until essentially what happens is then when they're like, okay, we're up against the clock. And really the real deadline that's more or less set in sometime in February, mid to late February, when spring training games are at stake because teams make, make money at spring training too. They have to get ready for the year to start. Uh, then then an agreement will probably come through then. And Rob Manfred's words on the subject weren't particularly um exciting, weren't particularly uh, confident as far as the agreement. He he basically made it seem like they're ready to go to a lockout and then they'll reassess it or, or they'll continue to negotiate and then basically set a deadline of when games are going to start for the agreement. Uh, this is something that as a, a fan, I think nobody likes to see these. Uh, but also, at the same time, the players certainly have their viewpoints. They want to get compensated fairly. They're the ones that are, are the product of the game of baseball, Major League Baseball. But the owners are the ones maybe taking more risk, the ones paying them, and the ones who, of course, also want to make money on the investments that they have put in uh, on their ball clubs. So it's going to be some heated controversy. I'm sure that we will hear more on it throughout. Hopefully not a bunch of media leaks. Like last time, where basically the other the two sides were just villainizing each other the entire time. Blame was always placed on the other side. Uh, and it's it's something that would be interesting to see exactly what happens. Uh, but overall, yeah, I'm still not really looking forward to that happening. Yeah, certainly a, a dull
1: part of the sport and something that everybody is just hoping to avoid or um, take care of as soon as possible. Uh, we'll see if that is the case. Uh, Next week, we will talk about some ideas. David's got some ideas on uh, rule changes in the new collective bargaining agreement. Um, Certainly, the agreement's filled with all sorts of things. Um, Really, it's just an entire agreement. I'm sure it's hundreds of pages. But he'll highlight a couple
0: options and ideas that he may have uh, to either... I was thinking maybe also during the lockout, perhaps reading the entirety of the last (laughs) collective bargaining agreement on the podcast if we run out of uh, ideas. certainly Uh, That'll... I'll I'll let you I'll, I'll let you handle that for a solo episode,
1: six hour episode. Uh, yeah, sounds premium premium episode probably as well mm-hmm. <laughs> for the amount of work put in it, it it would be worthwhile. So we'll we'll touch on that um, next week as well on some ideas uh, that that may pertain to the collective bargaining agreement. So David, uh, you had a lot of confidence in today's trivia question. Well, who are the Brewers National League Cy Young winners across their franchise history? So this is just National League, not American League. I, I should have uh, I should have said, who are the Cy Young Award winners for the Brewers in franchise history? So
0: National League or A. Okay. So in 81, Riley Fingers won it. And in 82, Pete Vukovic won it for the Brewers. And that is all since uh, until Corbin Burns won it last week. That is correct. I'll throw another one at you then. Uh, can you name
1: all Brewers that have won the Hank Aaron Award? Uh, Fielder, I'm guessing, won it. At some point. Correct, 2007. Okay. And this player has won it twice.
0: Was it Braun? Yellich.
1: Oh, really? oh 18
0: Yellich. and 19. 18 That's
1: and 19. Is right. it that it? Yep, three, wow. three, three Hank Aaron Awards. So there you go. I, mm-hmm. I had to make sure I stumped you on something. Okay. Threw you at that one with with no time to think about it. Three Cy Young Award winners, three Rookie of the uh, Rookie of the Year Award winners. Uh, actually, five MVPs, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, a little bit surprising. Fingers uh, young twice, and then of course Braun and Yelich, um, but not exactly a whole lot of uh, award winners in the Brewers franchise history. Yeah, I'm
0: just glad you didn't ask me to name all the Wall of Honor recipients, or we might have been here for a while. How about uh, Edgar Martinez award recipients? Uh, Dave Parker in 1990 <laughs> is it actually? It is correct.
1: I- <laughs> some good, some good ones. Good ones certainly um the Rolades relief man what I'm not even sure what was it was that...
0: a it was a predecessor to the the Trevor Hoffman reliever Got it. of the year Got it. uh Rolades is like a I think it's a heartburn relief that's kind of what I was yeah. thinking okay uh so they they kind Got of it. appropriately uh sponsored the award and I think Fingers won it well Fingers won it um uh, actually when I was younger I thought the that the award was named for Raleigh Fingers I thought his real name was roll <laughs> <laughs> aid Fingers I could, see that. I could yeah. see that. Um, but but I think Axford won it, too, in 2011. Um, and then I, I think the format changed, so now it was officially just those two before Hader won his... Yes, yep. Now, obviously, the Trevor Hoffman Award uh, with with Hader winning
1: those 3 of the last 4 and Williams winning in 2020.
0: I think Hader's won one more reliever of the years than Trevor Hoffman did at this point. Honestly, I mean, really what what Hader has done has been outstanding. Like
1: you said, I think he will become the highest paid or the largest contract from a relief pitcher in history and and we were talking at one point a while back, you know, has there been a relief pitcher who's had a better start to their career than Hader has? I I'm not K-Rod, sure. K. Rod, maybe. That, I
0: think that that's. If you look at saves, you could go probably go with K. Rod, but well, the 62 save season in, in 2008. Right. But yeah, I even that one. I mean, K. Rod's what fourth all time in saves. Yeah, he's up there. He's certainly up there. Uh, he's and, he's
1: an underrated relief pitcher um, as well. Yeah, I don't know if it was the era that he played in or being sh- you know shadowed by Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman in his a little bit of more in his later years, but. He was obviously outstanding, came up came up very young as well with the Angels. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure that really anybody's had the start to their, their career as a relief pitcher than Josh Hader. And certainly he has the ability
0: to go down as one of the, the best of all time um, as a relief pitcher. Certainly. We'll see how his arm holds up. Hopefully he's able to continue at this pace for a long time. It'll be interesting to see what the Brewers decide to do with Hader. I would say most likely what's going to happen is a lot of talks, a lot of rumors, a lot of reports on the Yankees are interested. And then Yankees fans saying, oh, let's trade Miguel Andujar for Josh Hayter, uh, those kind of things. And then he he'll probably still end up starting the year in a brewer's uniform and i can't imagine that they would trade him during the year Uh, we're getting a little ahead of it a a little bit ahead of ourselves though Uh, and i I do expect to see haters stay with the brewers Uh, but potentially the brewers try to save money maybe the brewers do trade hater and then try to extend one of their starters Uh, that would be certainly something that is that would be interesting to see yeah and it just comes down to you know
1: of course Teams always have their their budgets and where they want to allocate, so we'll see what the Brewers decide to do. Um, I I think it's unlikely, like you said, they make a move with Hater this off season, and I think it's unlikely they make uh, an extension or agree with an extension for Burns or uh, Woodruff in this off season. It'll probably be a future discussion. Uh, wanting to see the performance of 2022 as well from both of those players. So as we wrap up today, again, Brewers acquiring uh, J.C. Mejia from the Guardians for a player to be named later, or cashed. Still doesn't quite sound right. A little bit like the uh, Miller Park American Family mm-hmm. Field. Uh, and then we <laughs> broke down the uh, Jose Barrios seven-year, $131 million extension. What that might mean for the Brewers, along with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. And then, of course, talked about Josh Hader, uh, the left-handed star that he is. Uh, what the Brewers' options are, likely going to make around $10 million this year, potentially in the 10 to $15 million a year next year, uh, depending on his performance, uh, whether he will be a Brewer for the next two years, uh, what they'll decide to do with him. And then finally, the uh, exciting MLB lockout uh, between the MLB and the Players' Union, what that will look like. David will talk about some ideas, like I said, for next week's episode um, as well. So David, before we head out here, any final thoughts that you have today?
0: Well, we talked about relievers a lot on this episode. Josh Hader, of course, talked about uh, the aids Relief Man of the Year, and, and Doug Jones, a former Brewers reliever. So I was looking at the Brewers' all-time leaders in saves. Doug Jones just outside of the, the top 10, actually, with 49 saves only. <laughs> but Hader already fourth. He's at 96, certainly going to surpass fingers, only one behind him, and only 10 behind John Axford, the, um, the uh, 2021 Brewer John Axford and i would say if he does stay for the rest of the 2 years that he has left probably will surpass dan pleisak for the all-time franchise record in saves so it would be a nice thing to see hater do that in his time with the brewers he has certainly been the best reliever that the brewers have ever had over the course of uh, of a career yeah
1: absolutely we will see if he is able to surpass pleisak over the next 2 years and like i said He's certainly on a uh, on an exceptional track as the best reliever, and certainly Brewers have been happy to have him uh, on board and lead in that bullpen for many years. So we will he- we will see you again next week, and as always, go Brewers! Thank you for listening
0: to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.